for this evening, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of um, having me lead the discussion on this chapter. I pray, Lord, for your wisdom, Lord, for all of us, Lord, uh, as we uh, meet in groups and discuss, Lord. Um, I just want to thank you uh, for allowing us, Lord, to speak freely to one another and to invite your spirit, Lord, to, to move in our hearts, Lord, to uh, have an answer for a lot of things going on in the world today, Lord, and um, to respond uh, with grace and with love, Lord, and um, to just be salt and light, as we uh, just heard a prayer about, Lord, as we worshiped. So thank you, Father. Uh, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, Chapter 5 of this book uh, is called, Can We Take Steps to Move Beyond Our History of Racism, Stolen Land, and Collective Guilt? It's a lot to unpack there. Um, but as I read this chapter, I'll start by saying this. It's funny that I, I, I work in a public school setting, and so I'm seeing a lot of these things play out in the classroom and, uh, and you know, buzzwords and things like that. And I strongly dislike the word inclusive. It just it rubs me the wrong way in the way it's used now. And, you know, staff meetings, oh, that's not inclusive, you know, things like that. And, and I have to really watch myself and watch my eye rolls and, and things like that. But uh, as I'm reading this chapter, I'm thinking about how God it helped me to, to Put that word in perspective and to, to love that word in the sense that God is very inclusive. Uh, God isn't about separation, but he's about inclusion. He's about unity. Uh, and Jesus made it possible for anybody to be included in his kingdom and uh, to be recipients of the promises of God. You know, as, as you know, the verse about there being neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, um, but, uh, or male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So God is very inclusive. So I just, I guess it kind of lifted me up a bit thinking, hey, that's, that's our God. You know, our God is truly, in the right sense of the word, inclusive, uh, accepting anyone who will come to him uh, in repentance. So with that being said, this, this chapter tackles a lot of heavy topics, race and racism, which a lot of times it's hard to discuss. And uh, you know, but it can't be ignored. You know, there's, def there's definitely different camps. You know, some people, you know, it's, you want to just say, hey, let's just move on from that. You know, that was in our past. Let's move on. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to look at, through the lens of race. But it's there, you know, and, and we have to recognize that our country, you know, we have, you know, uh, an ugly past when it comes to, you know, racism and discrimination. But, you know, let's be honest, so does the rest of the world. Um, because we're sinners, and without a proper understanding of God's love for us, we're prone to any vice, we're prone to any sin. You know, and, and uh, so the, the chapter, you know, we're not, it's not there to necessarily defend America, it recognizes America, you know, America, our nation is not perfect, and never will be, and, and we should never put our hope ultimately in any one politician or, or, or government or organization or country. No state or country uh, will ever be perfect. And the only utopia that is ever going to exist is, is in heaven. And so we're, we're thankful for that. And I like uh, one thing the uh, author here, when Lutzer mentioned, he's talking about Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King. And, um, you know, in, 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 in what he saw, the cruelty to, to his people, to black people, the, the segregation, etc. cetera, um, you know, he didn't argue as many argue now for, for the deconstruction of our nation and our nation's principles. Uh, he, he sought not to divide, because what we're seeing is a lot of division. He, he sought to unify. Um, and he insisted that America, I quote, live up to her ideals. And, and as Christians, we're, it goes without saying that we're going to have many disagreements with people who are not, uh, who do not have a Christ-centered worldview obviously. But we can also disagree with one another when it comes to, to race and, and racism and things of that nature. With other fellow believers, we can disagree. Um, I like how Lutzer made a quote. 
uh, in chapter five, it's from a, it was a conference and there was a young black pastor who said, we don't have to agree on everything in order to celebrate our unity in Christ. And so just as Martin Luther King said that America needs to live up to her ideals, believers, as believers, we should live up to the ideals set forth in the Bible. And if we did more of that, some of these cultural issues, you know, could be minimized. Some of them wouldn't have happened the way they happened, uh, problems in the past and uh, terrible uh, things that occurred in the past wouldn't have happened. Uh, but it's sad that, you know, speaking of racism and, and even back to slavery, that uh, many very misguided Christians uh, tried to use the Bible to, to defend slavery. And uh, the biblical model of slavery was, was very different from what was done in America uh, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, the biblical model was more like the uh, indentured servitude, uh, working off uh, debt, uh, and usually for a period of years, it was not uh, condoned at all in the, uh, in the Old Testament to um, subjugate an entire race. Uh, in fact, if you obviously look at what Israel suffered in Egypt, you know, their race, that was obviously something that God took them out of. And this is nowhere condoned in the Bible. Um, you know, examine slavery carefully the way it was used in the Bible. You know, there are certain, we're sinners. Men are sinners, and certain institutions were used. The Bible did not con condone those things. In fact, uh, these institutions were made because man has free will. Uh, but in the Old Testament, God... Uh, uh, established several rules and regulations to actually protect people who were in servitude, to protect them, to have laws, particularly protecting uh, women. So, um, and, and we know Paul in the New Testament, we see in Philemon, he was defending a slave, a runaway slave, and advocating for that slave's freedom. So we see uh, the, lib the liberation in the Bible as well. It is not, in, in any way, did it... Uh, condone uh, slavery, which some people sought to use as a, a defense back in the day. Um, and then I like that one thing that uh, they used in here is uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, the, the uh, uh, slave who escaped his slavery and became a great orator, a great speaker, uh, a fighter for uh, rights of his people. And uh, in pages 134 to 136, I don't know if time will really permit to go through those, but he does a similar thing that Martin Luther King did. He did not excuse man's sin. In fact, he was very clear with the, the, the forefathers, hey, you've done wrong here. That You are not living up to the tenets of scripture. And, and, and uh, you know, we are not as a nation, this forefathers were not, as some were, were slave owners. But again, lining up with the ideals of the Bible. We can't give up on that promise of the gospel, which makes us one in Christ. And so uh, what was cool, I loved reading that. Uh, maybe you guys, if you have a chance to look at those pages, 134 to 136 um, in, the, in the book, to look at what he had to say, really not condemning America or its forefathers, but really challenging them live up to those ideals, live up to God's ideals in scripture. And that's what we should be doing every day, living up to the Lord's ideals. Um, you know, Jesus said in John 17, that they may be one as we are one. Um, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. The Bible, uh, we need to understand, is a, is a unifier. In an age of division, uh, we need unity more than ever. Um, funny, Funnily, I, I, ironically, the Bible is actually the most anti-slavery piece of literature because it offers the only real solution to any slavery, or really the ultimate slavery, which is uh, enslavement to sin, which is a problem that all of humanity has. But the Bible offers the true solution to that, and that's freedom through salvation in Jesus Christ. That is, is what we believe in and, and should be holding on to. Um, but, uh, you know, what also should be pointed out as, you know, because the, the chapter really is trying to come out of, hey, are we going to be stuck here or how are we going to move on from, you know, 
the ideas of racism and, and the, the, the problems of racism and the, you know, stolen land that, you know, the, the whole, we stole land from the Native Americans and something called, you know, collective guilt. You know, slavery and racism obviously need to be, you know, condemned. And we know that, you know, and, and thankfully there were many Christians who did do that and did fight for, for uh, the, abol the abolition of slavery and, um, you know, motivated by what? By the truth of God's word. Um, but, and you know, I, it was funny, I, our, our flag. Our flag obviously represents freedom, independence. And if you had asked that of a classroom when I was in school and even years later, uh, everyone knows oh, the flag represents freedom. We were talking about symbols today in class. Uh, and uh, uh, I said, oh, you know, so I was saying, what about, okay, a white dove? And the kids are like, oh, peace. You know, what about this? And they give me the, they give me the answers. And I said, uh, okay, the flag. And a couple of kids said freedom. And one kid under his breath said murder. And it took me back and I'm like thinking, did you say what I think you said? But I was like, wow, that this, this is where we've come um, to look at that, you know, symbol, you know, and it, again, we're never gonna be in a perfect land, uh, but for a student to say that, you know, I kind of had the gauges, are they trying to get attention, or is that really what they said? But it took me aback. But we need to understand that that hope and freedom in our flag, in our country, is just a, a small representation of the example of hope and freedom that we have in Christ. And if we have hope and freedom in Christ, we're free of condemnation. We're free from condemnation. And one of the things talked about it is this idea of collective guilt. Like we should all feel guilty, particularly the white man, for the sins of the past. Uh, what does Romans 8 tell us? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. I remember back, back the whole George Floyd um, incident and, and uh, the riots that ensued after that, the resurgence of BLM, all the, the madness that was happening. Uh, there was a whole lot of guilt being expressed uh, and, and, and a guilt that was expected from white people. The guilt, you know, and you had lots of stuff on social media and on TV of of all these apologies, uh, I apologize for my people, um, and the idea of, you know, you need to just, it's your time to listen, and you know, sometimes, you know, shut up and listen, don't say anything, you're, you're not allowed to say anything because you're white, kind of thing. And, and it was sad to see that, that huge division, and there's just been more division and more division and more division but the, the, one of the, the big questions here is, are we to be perpetually guilty for the sins of our forefathers? Uh, they, they, they cited uh, German youth, which I thought was interesting. German youth who are um, feeling very demoralized because of all, obviously, the, what the Nazis did to the Jews during World War II and before that. And so Germany has a, you know, a scar seemingly a permanent scar for that. And so there's a, like, mentioned the, the demoralized youth who really had nothing to do with that. That wasn't their generation. But they have the, the weight, the guilt of this is what our people did. And that was even used for even that kind of collective guilt. You should all feel guilty for doing this, even though it wasn't necessarily you, for... Um, the persecution of the Jews, take uh, that, that, that kind of collective guilt. Um, what did the, when um, Pilate was, was uh, giving the choice of freeing someone, Barabbas or Jesus, and the people were screaming out, no, 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 crucify Jesus, free Barabbas, free Barabbas. And uh, what did they say? His blood be on us and upon our children. So Jews were referred many generations after that as Christ killers. And non-Jews would use this as justification for persecution of the Jews time and time again. So the Jews were made to own their past. You must suffer for what was done years before, many generations before. So is that what's really necessary here? 
Now, one might argue God said in, in the Old Testament that he would visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation in Deuteronomy 5.9, but that was, a, that was talking about the consequences of a father's sin that could, that could affect generations of, of children. Because he also said in that same book, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall the children be put to death because of their fathers. Each shall be put to death for his own sins. You know, children often experience the consequences of their parents' mistakes, their parents' sins. But the sin of parents is not theirs to confess. You know, despite this past, they remain personally accountable for their own relationship with God. Ezekiel also says, 18.20, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So God meets justice out individually, and everyone's judged for their own sin. This flies against what many are being told or how things should be today. So what is the challenge of the church? Well, if God is a unifier and if the Bible is a unifier, then we need to focus on the unity that Christ brings, how we care for one another, how we defer to one another, how we love one another is going to show our unity. Remember, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or, uh, free or male or female. All are one in Christ. Romans 10 says, for there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So Genesis 1 tells us that we're created in God's image. And so if we're created in God's image, then he determines our value. And what does God say about us? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're a treasured possession. So understanding our value before God and that we should value, we should value what God values. So what does is, what is God value? And what does he say about, about these issues? What does he say about race? What does he say about guilt? We talked about no condemnation. What does he say about these things? Well, Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19 tells us that God's not partial, shows no partiality. He cares about people regardless of their ethnicity, uh, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their social status. He doesn't show favoritism either. In Acts 10, 34 and 35, it says, God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. First Corinthians also tells us that we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. James 2.9 tells us if you show favoritism, you sin. So very clear, very clear that these are the things that God says and these are the things that God values. So these are the things that we live out and that we can share with others because like it or not, the, the stuff we're reading about in this book, it's, and it's really heavy. We had a discussion about this yesterday in, our, in a meeting here at church, and it is heavy. I, I, I can never get through one of these chapters in one sitting. It always takes me two to three sittings to get through one because they're heavy, and you have to go back and think about them. But it's things that are, that are important because they're all over. They're in the church, these ideas, these ideologies, and we need to know what God says about them, what God says about unity, what God says about race, what God says about a condemnation. And, um, you know, one of the favorite, I think the favorite verse that I came across while studying was in Revelations, no, Revelation, excuse me, uh, in chapter 7. It says a great, this is John's seeing this, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What does that show us? Heaven will be filled with people of all ethnicities, of all background. It, it won't matter, and it doesn't matter. And so that is what we know to be truth. And so how do you combat falsehoods? With truth, with the truth of Christ, with the unity that Christ brings and I think that's a challenge and an excellent opportunity for us because we could get 
heated and upset, and I, and I, and I understand that. I think everyone has. But um, we have the mind of Christ. We have the eyes of Christ. And so that's a challenge for us to be Christ-like. Nothing, nothing that's happening in this world and is going to continue to happen surprises the Lord. And so what are we going to do with it? Just uh, hang on to God's word and live that out. So um, that's all I have for you guys. Uh, I'm going to invite you to go to a table. There should be some questions at your tables, and uh, someone can you know, read those along, and you guys can have some discussion time, uh, and we'll be doing the same thing up here. So God bless you guys. Thank you. All right. Uh, good evening, online family. Uh, we are coming to you live from Calvary, La Habra, our Wednesday night service. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Gabe. To my left, uh, I, I, uh, I lead the Spanish ministry here at uh, Calvary La Habra. To my left is uh, Chad, who uh, leads our young adults group. And to the right, we have Trevor, who is in charge of facilities here at the church. So we're going to be uh, leading you in a little discussion. Um, this is the book that we have been going through uh, on and off on Wednesday nights. Erwin uh, Lutzer's No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And so the uh, book hits a lot of important issues going on in our world today, uh, you know, issues that we as Christians um, really need to be informed about. You know, they, they shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, taking up all of our time and we don't need to obsess over these things, but we need to be informed and uh, we need to, you know, really respond in a godly manner to, to these different issues. The uh, chapter today... Uh, dealt with, uh, it was called, Can We Take Steps to Move Beyond Our History of Racism, Stolen Land, and Collective Guilt? And so we're going to just go through a couple of questions and, and talk about these things and, you know, kind of bounce off each other and see what kind of, what God kind of spoke to us, um, you know, in this chapter. Um, so um, any, I'll just throw it out there first, any just general thoughts about, as you read this chapter, you guys that you want to throw out there. <laughs> I defer to you, Trevor. Oh, I'll go for it. All right. Um, you know, just, I don't know, it's been, a, it's been a while, right? We had a little break. I think I taught Chapter 4, it feels like, years ago, yeah. um, but it was only a few months ago. Um, and, and you referenced it when you were teaching. You know, we met last night, we talked about this, and, and a lot of this stuff is really heavy, really heavy. And, and what I did was <clears throat> I went home this afternoon after work, and I, I sat down, looked at the chapter, and everything I highlighted, I highlighted a bunch of stuff. I put stars, you know, like more stars, the more, like, the better it is kind of thing. Yeah. And what I did, because we, we talked, too, it's like the, the, the book is not Scripture heavy, yeah. right? Like, we, you, you don't look in every page. There's a Scripture that backs up. And so I looked at all the points I had or all the things I highlighted, the major things, and I just started looking through the, the Word. And I said, oh, Ephesians goes here. You know what I mean? Like this, this matches up perfectly with what he's saying and, and this verse from 1 Corinthians. And so I put little sticky notes in my, little post-it notes in my, in my, my book everywhere I had highlighted. And I just put a scripture. And it was, it was actually really encouraging, right? Because we said it's super heavy. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, if you just read this for, and take it for at face value and don't go a little deeper, there's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot there to, to, to grab onto. But dang, man, it can like, beat you down you know it's 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 heavy stuff and so that was what i did encouragement i'm gonna do it again in a couple of weeks when i teach chapter seven i'm just gonna or yeah seven a couple of weeks i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do the same just highlight and, and then and then go to the word and be like all right god what do you have to say about this which which we should be doing with every part of our life right yeah so absolutely yeah i mean just sitting down reading this thing it's like kind of really brings a perspective of a worldly perspective and you know everything that's going on and just like Chad said like I'm sitting here reading it and it's not super scripture heavy but it's like okay like how can we relate this to scripture what does God's word say it's like at the end of the day it's like you know the conclusion is the world has a heart issue and the heart issue is the only thing that's gonna be fixed by God so it's when you when you look at it that way it's like okay like all this stuff from the world is just a distraction from people getting to know who God is. 
And so just reading through this chapter is like, dang, man, I'm glad, I'm glad we're grounded. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Well, definitely it's, it's obvious that, that our country and our culture has been divided over, you know, issues of race, uh, racial justice, uh, etc. Um, and, and so we as Christians, okay, where do we fall in that? I mean, when you, racism is always one of those, I don't know if I want to touch on that topic. It's really sensitive. Am I saying something racist? Am I doing this? And, and, and what's funny is it can happen in so many different forms. I mean, as a kid, um, you know, my, my family is, is pure, uh, we're Central American, we're all Spanish, but we're very light-skinned, so as, as my colleagues have told me, I'm white-presenting. Um, <laughs> and so, but I grew up in, a, in, in Hispanic neighborhoods all my life, and so I was, I was made fun of for my light, for my light skin, you know, which, which kind of, I guess, a, a form of reverse racism, I guess. So it's, it's just, I find it kind of interesting that this happens all the time, you know, people's differences, and, and it's, it's, it's sin. Right? It's sin. But we as Christians, you know, we can't ignore race, you know, the, the problems of racism and, and what that's caused. Um, uh, and we can't ignore the division, the dividing that that has caused. And so uh, one of the things I was thinking is, about is what, what gets disrupted when we allow division, especially with regards to race, when we allow that to affect us? Because it, 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 it affects even the church, but, uh, you know, and, and it divides. Right. So I, I jotted a couple of scriptures down here. Maybe um, we can read a couple of them. The first one was Philippians 2, uh, 2 and 3. If anybody finds that, you want to read it? That's funny. You got picked on for being too white because I work at a major heavily Hispanic school and all the kids think I'm Mexican because I'm so dark. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, I'm there. You want me to read it? Go yeah. Ahead. Okay. You win. So verse 2, it says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in, low, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. All right, and that caught my attention because esteeming others better than yourself, that really takes a humility and a, a, a lack of self. And, you know, what I've seen is when so much focus, you know, on, on looking through things through the, uh, the lens of race and, and, and racial justice for this group and, and, and reparations for this group and, and all of these things. But there's so much focus on self. And, and even with the whole transgender movement, so much self. You have to celebrate me. Uh, what about me? What do, what do I deserve for what you've done to me? Whereas uh, the Bible is all about humility and esteeming others better than oneself. So really, it takes the focus off of self. When I think the world, and particularly these movements and these ideologies, keep wanting to put the focus completely on the self. And that's when, as a Christian, you step back with spiritual eyes and go, this is not of the Lord. We can't ignore these issues and problems. We need to understand that a focus on self is not Christ-like, and it's absolutely an antithesis to the Bible. Amen. I'll read the second scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and 16. It says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then down verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise. In your own sight. So, so essentially the same message that we, we read before in, in Philippians, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we see here that these things that create can create so much division. There's, there's, a, there's, there's such a dance in acknowledging these things, acknowledging differences, and even um, acknowledging mistakes that have been made uh, both in our nation and personally, but really... Um, not allowing that to, 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 to take away the unity that we can have in Christ. Because like you said, it, it, it's a hard issue. And even as Christians, we, you know, we, we are called to have that same, the mind of Christ and that, the heart of Christ. And, and the heart of Christ is 
the the exact opposite of this. It is welcoming. It is embracing the world. You know, it is not being tolerant of uh, of sin, but also wanting to be accepting of everyone who comes to Christ in humility and, and, and in repentance. Um, so, which kind of leads me to the next question I had here. Um, how can race, racial justice, the idea of reparations, detract us from the key purpose, you know, of the church and, and what it is that, you know, God expects of the church? Can I comment on yes. the Both, Absolutely. kind of both questions in one. So... Um, at one point in the book, and if you guys have the book on page 116, uh, one of the things I highlighted says, you know, and this is the, the author speaking, talking about believers. He's saying, I hope we can find at least some common ground among believers on several, several controversial issues so we can work toward unity rather than rancor and needless divisions. And so, you know, you were talking earlier in the church, the, what, what, what divides people outside of the church has crept into the church. And we see these issues where it's like there's division within the body of Christ. So much so that churches are shutting down, they're splitting and, you know, just crazy stuff going on. And so I, I, I found that interesting. And, and again, one of the, the scriptures that kind of jumped out to me is in is in First, first Corinthians. I thought that was a First Corinthians. <laughs> first Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and, and, and starting in verse 19, it says, and this is Paul speaking. So remember Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, saved Saul, saved from the radical pharisaical life, like persecuting Christians, radically saved, right? Goes on to, to be very passionate about um, being saved. And once you are saved through faith in God alone, that the law no longer has any hold on you, right? And so he says in, in verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, speaking of uh, of the... Um, of the Gentiles here, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. You think, man, that's kind of like, like I, 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 I. But then he, he, he brings it all home. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And he's saying, like, yeah, we all have differences. Yeah. But, but, but I can become, you know, like, like, like if we had a group of guys, we do. The guys that do jujitsu, like I don't do jujitsu, but if you want to talk about jujitsu, let's talk about jujitsu. Like let's break down the walls. You know what I mean? Like in 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 that day, it was it was the the Pharisees that were getting or the 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 Jewish um, the Jews that were getting saved and that were living under the law, right? And then you had the Gentiles, and so you had these these completely opposed people coming together as the body. So there was major division between yeah. the two and this whole idea of circumcision and all these laws that they were living under, right? And Paul was basically saying, man, I'll be whoever I need to be. Not in a bad way, like I'll be a chameleon and be a, a Christian here and not here. Not that at all. More yeah. of like, if I need to put myself in their shoes to talk to them, I will. And so if I need to talk to somebody to understand you know, or read something to understand, like this book. Like this book is good in educating us and to be able to put ourselves in maybe the mindset of people that, that deal with these issues, whether it be race or, you know, these, these gender identity issues that we see so that I can understand that and I can not become them in a sense of like physically become them, but in a sense of like mindset I can become them and I can relate to them. And so, I don't know, that was just something that kind of relates to the last two questions that, that jumped out at me a little bit and I was like, man, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Paul, Paul has some good stuff to say every once in a while. <laughs> well, I think it also relates to what uh, we said here about the purpose of the church, because Paul was fulfilling that that purpose, right? And he was becoming what he needed to become, not in a sneaky way, not in a chameleon, like you said, but um, I want to win souls for Christ. And so I'm going to get down to people's level to do that, and I'm going to do what's necessary uh, because what was important to him was important to Christ, leading people to him and then that's what was his goal so yeah um so the second question to the second question <laughs> is what is the purpose of the church you kind of read it but 
um, when I was going through this, I, I, Ephesians 4.16, it says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So when you peel this stuff back and, and you really look at it, I mean, we've already said it, but it's just a huge distraction to what is really necessary, and that's God. And so, you know, it's funny because we're going through this, and last night I was watching YouTube with Kelsey, and it was like we started watching all this stuff on, on like all these prosperity gospel teachers, right? And like race is probably one of the biggest things that they use, and we're watching these videos, and I'm like just tripping out because it's like, Dude, like they're letting the distractions get in and then they're using those distractions to, to make money, basically. But, you know, um, it just it just blows my mind, you know, like how far off track we can allow those things to get. And it's like you even look at like the life of David, right? Like why did why did God choose David? Because David had the heart, a heart after God's own heart. It's like. So when you look at David, it's like God didn't choose David because of his skin color mm -hmm. or because of how big he was or who he was. He chose David because of his heart. So it just comes down to the heart, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, um, it's sad when, when race, even in the church, brings this kind of division. Even, you know, uh, as I said, I, I lead the Spanish ministry, and there is oftentimes kind of a wall there whereas oh the english side the the you know los americanos they you know they won't under they don't understand our culture they don't understand this or that so there's almost an intimidation of kind of mixing beyond the language so i, I what i've seen even growing up in a lot of different um you know spanish churches um but god wants to break those barriers down i mean our, our culture is our culture our race is our race but that's not our identity our identities in Christ, and that should be the the great unifier. And so, you know, it's sad to see those things, and it's I think should be one of our goals to kind of break those things down and and those walls down because those walls. I mean, who's the who's the happiest when racial divisions um, break the unity in the church? Satan. That's that's his big goal. Let me disrupt the church as much as I can. If I can disrupt the church. I'm going to make them less effective outside the walls of the church. If they're less effective outside the walls of the church, I've got more people that are following me, Satan, and not turning to the Lord. So that's his goal. Um, but, but, you know, as I said before, these discussions can get difficult and, and heated and, and uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that old sinful nature can really creep up. I mean, I work in a very secular environment. I work in a public school setting. Chad, you do too. And uh, with a, a lot of adults that have very different views and very um, very far left-leaning um, views that uh, not only do I disagree with, but I think uh, fly in the face of what the Bible says. And so um, sometimes we can let that get to us um, and just really react in a way that stops the progress right um and uh you know i know i've been at work several times over the years and i just get i've gotten very frustrated with some of the the conversations and some of you know the stuff that's being pushed on to kids and my reaction you know i just i kind of blow up a little i remember last year and i think i mentioned this on another panel several weeks ago walking in on a um, one of the science teachers uh, teaching the, the sex ed curriculum, on and it was a section on gender, and it was just teaching, like if it was gospel truth about, I don't know how many different genders, and, you know, you, you know whatever you think you are, you can never be wrong. And, and I just said out loud, because I, I wasn't even thinking, um, uh, this, that's ridiculous, or something like that, that's stupid, I forgot what I said, but I was very frustrated, and all the kids looked up at me, you know, and the teacher kind of looked at me like, okay, stop. Um, but... It, it's it, you know right when I when I react so heavily there I, I'm I'm kind of cutting off that that line of communication that future I have even discussing with that teacher you know hey let's talk about this or something like that and, and how I I can see how that can get in the way of progress because 
God wants me to have a compassionate heart, right? And I, I don't know if you've had any of those experiences, Chad, where it, really you have to check yourself. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, the, 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 the setting, you know, that we work in is, is, is different than most. Um, uh, I, I, and I would take it even a step further. Being in a locker room in a high school setting is beyond, you know, what most people have to deal with. Um, on a daily basis when it comes to these these issues but again going back to the scriptures like if you if you listen to this and you meditate and you make it your prayer daily Ephesians 4:29 says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and it's like what is the goal of these, I guess we'll call it, I don't know, extremists, that's kind of like a, like a taboo word, but like people that have extreme views yeah. about these issues. What is their goal? Is their goal to build up? No, their goal is to tear you down. And their goal is to tear down everything that, I mean, if you go back to, to, to essentially tear down the roots and the, the, of our country yeah. and what it's this right. country was built on. And that's what their goal is. And, and, and just like you said, and just like we can see, you, 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 read, through, you read through the Gospels and you get to the, the Beatitudes and see like everything that Jesus is about is the opposite of what the world is about. The last shall be first. Okay. Bless those who mourn. What? Why? You know? And so we need to be sure. And, and again, it's, this has got to be my prayer, our prayer, everybody's prayer. But, but, but even more so those that are in these settings every morning, like, all right, Lord, let every word that comes out of my mouth. And that's, I mean, you pray that, you're like, oh, man, now i got to stick to it, right? Yeah. And, but, but, but only because of God, right? I can't. Myself, bro, I, I'm like you, man. I freak out. I, that stuff bugs me. I saw the other day, I was telling guys last night, I saw two, a boy propose, or not propose, uh, they call it a promposal. A boy asked another boy to, to prom. Uh, at school the other day and I'm doing supervision right you know this far away and I just turned and walked away you know because I'm just like gosh like that's but but and, and everyone's cheering you know and that's that's what our world has become you know and uh and and, and the everybody around would say what oh but whatever makes them happy it's like you do you right but that's not when you believe in the truth the absolute truth it's not about whatever makes you happy <laughs> because a lot of those roads that make you happy lead to destruction, right? There's a lot of things we do around here. I mean, teaching and serving, it's, those things bring joy. The world would see it as happiness, right? But it's, but it's done the right way, you know? And so in and of myself, I want to make, I want to comment on everything, right? I want to, I want to, ah, it's nonsense or whatever. I want to get into these conversations, these debates. And then you come back to the word. Yeah. No corrupting talk. Only such is good for building up. And that's the encouragement, right? Build up, man. Why tear down? What good does that do? What good? And I even, I mean, like, as parents, you're a young parent. And, and as, a, as a parent of older kids, my, you know, kids are all, it's crazy to say I have a 21-year-old son. But, <laughs> like, as a parent, how many times I tore down instead of built up? Probably more off, a lot more often than it should have been. Um, and I talked to my kids about it and I apologize to this day. Like, man, I, I was, I was tough on you and it wasn't all bad, right? Like you can be tough on your kids, but to tear them down, to get them to break, it's not God honoring. It's not what God God. That's not God's best, you know? And so I think they appreciate it when I come back and like, man, I wish I could go back and I don't want to do it over, but there's some things I wish I could do over, you know, and I know we can. And that's, you know, the scripture tells us to, to look ahead, man. Don't, don't dwell on the past, you know, but, uh, but, but yeah, that, that, that one, I'll put that, I'm, I'm going to write that one. I have some scriptures on my desk, like at the backdrop that I read every day, like encouraging. And that, that, that's going to be the next one to go up there, <laughs> a challenging one, you know? Yeah. So, um, so what can we, what do we really have to offer then as Christians that the world can't offer? Because we talk about, you know, uh, reparations, for example, you know, and, and we know like for uh, San Francisco was, there, were, there was, a, I think, a bill or proposal to, for reparations on um, 
for, for black people that um, had, uh, were descendants of slaves and that they should get, it was some outlandish number, I don't know, five million or something. Um, and I remember hearing that on the news and going, wow. And, and really, what, what is that seeking to solve? Right, you know reparations. I can, you know, I, I can give you all the money in the world, and we've even seen. There's been multiple studies that lottery winners they go and waste it. They, they you know, by and large, it gets it, it doesn't solve any problems. It just magnifies a lot of problems, right? But these reparations, you know, uh, you know, racial justice, and you know, you need to get yours, and you need, and, and the opposite, you need to pay for the sins of your fathers. You know, where, you know, the Bible clearly what I was sharing earlier um, to the men here that um, the Bible doesn't condone that. The Bible doesn't talk about me being responsible for my father's sins. It says that everyone's responsible for his own righteousness and, and for his own sin, right? So it really, it, it's, it's, it's exact opposite. And, and that is not going to bring freedom. You can, uh, reparations, uh, and I think... Uh, I think something in chapter four that uh, Lutzer said, and I appreciated this. Many people who are um, advocates of, of, you know, racial justice, let's get to the bottom of this and let's let's heal and let's um, uh, give, you know, to this marginalized group because they suffered in this way. Um, and, 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 and there must be equity and they're well-meaning. Your typical person is well-meaning. I'm not talking about the people that at the top that are, you know, having a, a clear agenda in, in the deconstructing of our, you know, our, our core values in our country. But your typical person who just wants to be helpful and, and feels bad, um, they're well-meaning. You know, they, 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 and it gave me kind of a compassion. Like, you, you really, you care. You care. And so it's easy for me to get, personally, to get on a, oh, I don't even want to deal with you. Because I get so frustrated with this stuff. To give me a little bit of a more compassionate heart and realize... Hey, what can I? What can I, as a Christian, offer that the world cannot? And that's hope. I know it's one of the things that I can offer is the hope of Christ. You know, what does Jeremiah twenty nine eleven tell us about? God wants to give us a future and a hope. And um, the world can come up with the best solutions, what they think are solutions, but in the end, uh, we offer hope. And it's not hope in us, it's not hope in a program, but it's hope in Christ. And it's hope in, in what the gospel can do, how the gospel can heal a heart, how the gospel can transform a heart, and how the, the gospel can bring real uh, change. You know, I, I quoted some of the people like Frederick Douglass, who now they're someone who suffered terribly uh, through slavery and, and escaped to slavery um, but what did he advocate for? He advocated for let's live up to the ideals of the Bible. You know, um, what did Martin Luther King say? Let's live up to the ideals um, uh, of our country that, that, that the founding fathers set up. You know, let's not divide, but let's unite. And the, the, the church and the, the gospel is a true uniter. And so that's what really we can offer. The world cannot offer that. So... I personally have to remember that that we're on the we're on the victor side, and so it's easy to get defensive, right? It's easy to be to be on the defense. Like I have to defend myself for these views that I have, but no, I don't have to defend myself for believing in in, in the Lord and and what the gospel says, all right? Um, so I, I personally I know I can rest in that because it gets a little frustrating. I feel like I'm uh, many times outside of these walls, kind of. Uh, a little alone, right? So, yeah. Um, what was you talking about the um, equality and equity? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was reading through it and I was thinking about it, I I had the privilege of of teaching the foundations class with Francel on Monday. But we were talking about how like God is a just God, right? And so when you look at who God is and how His character is, He's just. You look at what reparations is, and, and you look at all the stuff that they're throwing at us with wokeism, and it's like they're taking justice into their own hands, and we as believers are the ones who know that the ultimate justice is up to God. Yeah. And so I look at it like how many times have I ha had somebody wrong me or been wrong? It doesn't matter, but 
And it's like you think about it and it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to forget that it happened and act like it didn't happen. It did happen, but I'm going to let God deal with it. And it's like when you view it from that perspective, it's like reparations isn't going to do anything. <laughs> so. Yeah. Can I, can I add a, a second thing that hope, obviously, unconditional love, right, like that only Jesus can offer that the world has no clue about, you know. I mean, I think that's, that's huge. I think that's where it's, I think a lot of the issues we see are because there's a lack of love in the world, you know. Um, there's a lot of hate, a lot of hate, a lot of, a lot of bitterness, a lot of confusion, a lot of anger. Um, that's why it, you know, when we <clears throat> sit in different settings and even teach the youth and, and I, there's times teaching young adults, youth, you know, what, whatever, junior high. And, and it's like, your heart breaks. My heart breaks. Like I just, you got to get it, you know, like you, you have to understand this. Like it's so important in everything there being fed from again outside of these walls and outside of the restraints of you know whatever parents and home and stuff like that but everything they're being fed is is so against that it's so against what what uh you know the bible points to as as as, as you said as hope and, and love and i don't know man i just it's it's heavy at times it's heavy there'll be times i'll teach man i walk out like i'm beat down you know what i mean i'm literally like exhausted what'd you do sat on a stool and talked about the Bible, but I'm like, it's, it's, it's such a heavy, there's a heavy weight behind it. And I think it's because, you know, we got saved at a certain point in our lives and we, we know what it's like to, to live a life outside of the will of God. And then, and to see these kids wanting that, it's like, what do you want? What are you looking for? Everything you need is right here. Yeah. The fellowship is here. The, the, the people, the, the teaching, the word, the, the encouragement, the building up. You know what I mean? It's all here. And they all want to keep, not all, I shouldn't say. That's a generalization. But, but a lot of them want to keep looking elsewhere. And it's like, gosh, come on, man. Got to get it. Got to get it. I told them last week some of them need to be Jesus slapped. <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> anyway. Well, going with that unconditional love, I, I, I think... Um, it's it's it, it grieves my heart that you know as people who as believers who um, you know our, our mission is is to spread the love of Christ right but in, in our I think a lot of what's used against Christianity is the fact that because we um, people say we're you were supposedly a, a founded on, on Christian principles but you know look at the you know some of the founding fathers who who were slave owners for example who who practiced slavery who believed in slavery and and even people especially in the south who who defended slavery and who used who attempted to use the bible um to defend slavery you know and then thinking about it i mean it is it's terrible it's awful because this is this is a a, a message of hope and, and of unconditional love but it, it was used um, as a tool of Satan, you know, by people who were clearly misguided. Um, and, and even knowing that this was practiced throughout the world, you know, the, uh, the, the enslavement of others. Um, but that, you know, we can use this to point to the cross because, you know, we're all, you know, even though we obviously nobody here has ever uh, been physically enslaved and you know our families have never been our you know descendants have not um haven't been our ancestors rather and but you know we all know as believers that we are all slaves to sin uh before knowing christ that we're born into sin that um uh and that we you know are only saved through christ's grace but if you don't know Christ, you know, this is what what's grieving. We want people to know Christ because so they won't be a slave to sin. And some people think, I'm fine, I got it, I, my life is good. But um, uh, the Bible tells us clearly there's none righteous, not one. And so our best can never meet God's standard of perfection, which is why it took Jesus to come die on the cross and, and pay for our sins and, and how his blood washes us. But uh, it, we have to get to that point of repentance uh, and uh, believing that, believing that only he can save us. So, you know, we can use 
this knowledge of, of you know, th there's been many evils and, and slavery that have happened, and, and but the true enslavement of, the, of all of humanity, regardless of your skin color, regardless of where you come from, uh, is sin. And, and the only solution there is, is the cross and what Jesus did, you know, on the cross, because we were all slaves. We, we were all there at that place. So I think it's 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 an it's an awesome thing to understand that because we're all acquainted with slavery on that level. Right. Yep. Amen. <laughs> now there's one part in the book uh, in the chapter as well, um, and we already touched on this with the with the whole reparations thing. But this this collective guilt when you as a as a group need to feel guilty for what's happened, you know, in the past. And, and uh, you know, what's, what's a problem with that? And, and I asked the question here is, how is that demoralizing and not constructive? If, if you are always living with guilt, right, and, you, and, and, and you're told always that you need to feel guilty and then you need to make these things up to, to, to make up for your, for your guilt. You know, I think of, um, you know, my mother, my parents were, or my mother especially, was very a strict Catholic before I was born. I was born, my parents had already been accepted Christ and been saved for about a year. But um, my mother was a firm believer before that in doing X, Y, and Z to please God. And only until she did these things, you know, said certain prayers, um, went to Mass, you know, did these things, was she absolved. And so she, you live with the, with the guilt all the time you know I think of of my own kids you know I don't you know sometimes we make our kids feel guilty you talk about tearing kids down I've you know you make your kids feel guilty for something but they need to know that the forgiveness that I, I love you you know I forgive you let's give you a chance to 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 to, to make up and for, to, to make this right whatever's you know been wronged but you don't want them to live with guilt um, you know what is it? because that doesn't build them up it, it it demoralizes them, and in the same way, as a culture, and we'll obviously, the, the, the you know white people, um, you know the the culture right now is telling them they need to feel terrible for the sins of of their ancestors. But how how that's so demoralizing, you know? How is that going to build anyone up? And so what, you know, how is that going to be constructive for them? You know what uh, and you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not white in that sense of the word, American or American, but we're Spanish. But as someone who was, you know, perceived as white most of his life, um, you know, I felt that from people. And as I see it now today, it's, it's really sad that a, a group is almost being criminalized, you know, and the justification for that is, well, that's what, you did to the black race. So, um, so you need to feel that. You need to suffer those uh, consequences and, and have that collective guilt. But, uh, you know, is that biblical? Is, you know, what does God do with our guilt? Right. Well, I mean, he died on the cross for our sins, right? So it's like that guilt, that shame, all of that's gone. But, you know, that I, I just wrote down in my notes, you know, like to that question you're saying, you know, how, it's not constructive, obviously, but it's like, how can you go around and be close to people if you have something like reparations in the core of your mind? It's like, that's just sitting back there and you're like stewing on that. And it's like, that's not how God designed us to be after he died on the cross. You know, you're, you're, you're sitting in that and you're not supposed to be. And so I just also wrote, there'll never be equity and equality amongst each other when you force something like that on others. It'll never be the same, so. Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> I bring it back, bring it back to the scriptures. Uh, Philippians chapter three says this, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Right. It's, I mean, and, and I think that those kind of, you know, saying those things, that's where people, oh, Christians are insensitive. Yeah. They don't get it. It's not that it's it's 
we've been called to something greater than our pasts. We've been called to something greater than guilt over something that happened hundreds of years ago. And I, I always kind of, I always trip out like when I have conversations with, I work with a guy, he's, it's funny because I'm going to Israel actually in a few weeks. Just found out last week. Pretty cool. cool. <laughs> and um, he's, he's Jewish. So I'm like, hey, bro, going to your homeland. <laughs> and he's an atheist, though. Like, it's a weird. He's, like, Jewish by birth, by, by bloodline, but he's just no, no belief in God. And uh, he's like, yeah. and, you know, he had no, no, they didn't care, you know. Didn't ask any questions, nothing. And, uh, you know, like I said, it just it breaks my heart. Like, just to see people that, that, that have no desire, you know, someone that would, he would probably agree with what we're talking about. Like, yeah, we should do something to repay, you know? And it's yeah. like, like, bro, I don't want to live regretful, you know? You said it, man. When Jesus died on that cross, he took all our sin. He took all our guilt. He took all our shame. Gone. Gone. You know, and, and, and we, we rest in that, right? You know, there's a lot of promises in the Bible, and then we rest in those promises. And it gives us that hope. It gives us that ability to look ahead and to press on toward that goal, you know. And I don't know, like I, I, I don't, I don't like th those comments, you know. Oh, Christians are insensitive. They don't, you know, they don't. They're closed-minded, and it's like. I'll listen to whatever you have to say, yeah. but you have to listen to what I have to say too with an open mind, right? Like you can't, it can't be a one-sided conversation where you're going to tell me your beliefs and then when I say what I believe, you automatically disqualify it because it's related to the Bible yeah. or God. Like it's just, it's so unfair and not unfair like, oh, sad, poor me kind of unfair, just unfair in a sense of like, I'll listen to you. You could tell me the craziest stuff in the world and I'll hear you out. But then when I come back and reciprocate, you know, what I believe, then you have to be open to that. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not that way, unfortunately. And yeah. it's not getting any better. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe we're ripe for God to do something crazy or just come back and take us up on out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at someone, you know, who was incredibly guilty at one point in his life, David. Look at Psalm 51, and, and when he was in the thick of it, after he had sinned, um, a great sin uh, with uh, Bathsheba and, or, and having her husband killed and all that. Um, but he tells, uh, he prays to God in, in Psalm 51, uh, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And, and I, I look at that, and can you imagine living life Thankfully, he experienced God's forgiveness. I mean, there were huge consequences for his mistakes and his sins, but he experienced the cleansing of the Lord and the joy of the Lord again. But when I, if it would have stopped there, my sin is always before me. Imagine living life when your sin is always before you, and you're just constantly living in condemnation, in guilt. I look at look at Paul. Look at the great things that Paul did. But he called himself the chief of sinners because he knew his past. But what what if he never could forgive himself for how he persecuted Christians. He would not have been used the way God used him and the mighty things that God did for him to reach both Gentiles and Jews if he was living in guilt. That's why he knew that he was free from condemnation. He knew that he was free from the guilt of his past. He still called himself the chief of sinners because he knew who he was, but he also knew who Christ was in him. And that's the key. And so we... We don't have to live in guilt and, and all this talk and all these ins, the, the um, insistence on things like reparation and racial justice and they, they play to the fact that we should be perpetually guilty for something. Listen, if the God who created all things can forgive us, how can we not forgive ourselves? Yeah. Right? Because Satan wants us to, to, to not. Yeah. Satan wants us to feel guilty because when we do that and when we think about where we've been and what we've done, we're ineffective. Right, we're deemed in a, we, we we can't be effective for the gospel. We can't, and so who are who are we in our finite minds to not be able to forgive ourselves when God forgives us? We've been forgiven, and that stops the work that Christ wants to do in us. Right, Christ has a a a, a purpose 
you know, for Trevor, for Chad, for me, for all who believe in him. He has a purpose in our, not only to save us, but to use us as instruments for his glory. But if, if we live our lives in guilt, that won't happen. We're, we, we, that, that work will be stopped because we are so focused on us and our sin, forgetting, wait, Christ already paid for that. He already died for us. He cleanses with his blood. I can walk in freedom. I don't have to walk in guilt. I don't have to live in my past. I can go forward in my future. And that's, that's key because guilt is very self-centered. Yeah. Right? You're focused on you. Get your eyes off yourself. <laughs> Get your eyes on Jesus, man. He's the only one, right? We keep trying to do things on our own. We fail miserably. Yeah. yeah. Self is definitely the enemy. Our time is almost up. Let's just, if we can, uh, when do you guys want to read Ephesians 2? Verses 14 to 16. I'll, I'll read it. I got it. Oh, awesome. So it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from, from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through Christ the cross, or through the cross, sorry, thereby putting to death enmity. Awesome. So, any any last words for how that might speak to to you guys and uh, those verses before we we cut out here? So I, I I put down in my notes, man. It's it's simple. God is the one who brings us together, and man is the one who who separates us. Um, you know, God is the only one who can break the walls that we've built up between each other. So, you know, when it comes to all of what we've been talking about, it's like. Keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely.